Radio Mano Papachango. That's right. Tangentially speaking, I'm Chris. Welcome to another wonderful episode. This is episode 238, I think. We're getting up there. Uh, This episode is with a young woman named Jenny Nordback. Uh, She has written a fantastic book called The Scarlet Letters, My Secret Year of Men in an L.A. Dungeon. We uh, talk about the... um, trials and tribulations of coming up with subtitles and how generally it's the publisher that comes up with the subtitle much to the chagrin of the author because in fact uh she spent more than a year in la dungeons as mistress crimson i think that's her name her her dungeon name uh she's a a dominatrix um Interestingly, it's but it, it, the subtitle doesn't really do it justice because she spent more than a year. She was not only with men. There were other women involved that were important characters in her story. Uh, and she was also um, a sub for the first six months. So she was uh, submissive for six months, and then she was uh, dominatrix for the rest of the time. So as usual, it's far more, it's a far more nuanced story than the subtitle tells you, but that's life. So anyway, the book is out this week. Uh, If you're interested in that world, you're interested in sort of alternative sexual communities, uh, I I recommend it. I haven't read the whole book. I hadn't read it um, when she came here the other day, but I've been looking at it in the few days since then. I pick it up and read a chapter here and there. It's organized as most of the chapters refer to a particular person that uh, she met, a client, a situation, so they're kind of short scenes. And uh, it's very well written, very uh, moving in places, funny in other places. Um, there are surprises and uh, twists and turns you don't see coming. And it's it's erotic. It's hot. So anyway, that's the book, Jenny Nordback. She's uh, charming and wonderful and intelligent. And the book is The Scarlet Letters. So that's what you have to look forward to. And I'm going to play some music uh Later, I'm going to play a song by uh, an artist from New Zealand called Kimbra. Song Settle Down. It's very cool. Uh, you should check her out. Uh, if you look at my website, I'll, I'll put a video of her performing live. She's very beautiful, very compelling and uh, charismatic. And the other song that I'll play at the end of this little intro here is called Alaska by uh, Maggie Rogers, who is also very charismatic and interesting and i'll put a a video of her as well uh fantastic artist anyway so uh what's going on with me i'm working on the van thank you to all of you who have sent in uh contributed to the van van either in dollars or in advice or uh one guy works for a, a solar installation company who does van conversions and he wrote and said uh that they were 
interested in sponsoring, you know, doing the solar installation for me, which is really wonderful. I already have a solar panel on the van I bought, so that's not necessary. But that kind of stuff is so compelling, so beautiful. People are writing from all over the country saying, hey, man, if you come through, you know, you can hang out in my driveway and use the shower and whatever. Uh, and uh, got an email today from another guy who's going to be in Wyoming watching the the full eclipse of the sun this summer. So he invited me up there. So I don't know what's going to happen this summer. Um, we're Oliver and I are still working on it. We put up the the hatch over the bed so I can open that up and look out at the sky at night. And uh, we put in a, a vent fan. And we started the redwood paneling. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see I, I put up some photos of the progress of the van. I also put a few up uh, on Reddit. If you're in the Reddit community for Tangentially Speaking, you'll see some of the progress going on there. So anyway, that's that's sort of what's happened in my life. I'm focused on this. And then uh, when I finish this in a week or two, then I want to turn to the book, get the book done, get that all wrapped up before I hit the road and then hit the road in, I don't know, late May, early June, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. These things always turn out differently than you plan them. Um, and uh, that's about it. Uh, just plugging away. The weather's getting beautiful here in Topanga. Everything's green. Um and uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing the podcast. I, I've bumped some of the other episodes. I've had some in the can here for a month or two because, you know, interesting people just come into come into town, come into my life, and I record them even though uh, they pile up, but they're not really time sensitive, so it doesn't matter. But I bumped some because Jenny's book came out this week and uh, we're trying to help her create some buzz. I know what it's like to have a book coming out, especially a first book. And, uh, you know, be dealing with either the onslaught of attention or the even more depressing absence of attention. So hopefully she's going to get the onslaught of attention, which she deserves. So check out her book. I'm, it's on Amazon. It's everywhere. The Scarlet Letters. And her last name is spelled N-O-R-D-B-A-K. That's about it. I'm not going to yammer on too much. Uh, that's uh I don't really have a whole lot to talk about. I mean there are a million things we could talk about, but I think I'll do aroma this week, so I won't bore those of you who aren't interested in that kind of shit in this in the tangentially speaking normal episodes. So I'm done. Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for telling your friends. Thanks for supporting it on patreon.com and keeping this podcast commercial free. Yes so nice to be supported by you not some fucking company that wants me to sell your attention to them it's nice you give me your attention you like what i do you support it that's beautiful uh okay this is maggie rogers and the song is alaska and then a little down the road you'll hear a song called settle down by kimbra thanks for listening i'll catch you down the road Took my breath away Moving slowly through westward water Over glacial plains In a walked-off field In a walked-off and old me 
like an academic, but I sound like an fuck academic. Comes out constantly. Fuck com- well, I guess I, that is me. I'm the fucking academic, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's probably why I can't be an academic. One of many reasons. Yeah. I can't keep, can't not swear, and can't. Um, I I was once I gave a talk in uh, Palo Alto once at this private party with all these movers and shakers and who'd read Sex at Dawn and they invited me, you know, they had these monthly get-togethers where they would invite some author or artist or somebody. And afterward, the woman was giving me a ride back to where I was staying and I think she was like on the the board of Stanford or some, she was some, you know, Silicon Valley millionaire. And she said, you know, have you considered teaching? You know, I'm sure Stanford would be interested. And I was like, and I was high and drunk at that point. (laughs) And I said, oh, God, no, I would just end up sleeping with my students. (laughs) Just like, she didn't laugh. No, it was just like, uh, oh, I could see that completely. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm here with Jenny. What is your last name? Nord, Nordblank? Nordback. Nordback. Yeah. What what the fuck kind of name is Nordback? Danish. Danish. it's my husband's family's last name and I guess when they they came through Ellis Island and their last name was Peterson with a D which apparently Mm. is like Smith in in Denmark and instead of doing what most people do where they want to have a kind of normal name when they come to the States they decided they wanted something unique that no one else had so they made up Nordback which means anyone who has that last name with that spelling is like in that immediate family group there's almost none of them so no shit it makes it kind of nice for like getting websites and email addresses and stuff yeah nobody has it wow yeah as someone who has a very uh sort of yeah. common name I, I imagine that could make your life really easy yeah i got my twitter handle and you got the twitter so handle all that matters in this day and age. I, know. <laughs> I know i mean that whole twitter handle thing led me into a real uh, fucking bee's nest uh because when i was doing the twitter thing i was working with a social media guy who was helping me out and he looked for chris ryan and christopher ryan and chris p ryan and you know all the configurations and they were all taken of course and then he was like well you know people know you as the you know this academic author whatever like chris ryan phd that's not taken use it and I'm like okay fine whatever and we did that in my website and everything's chris ryan phd everywhere and then of course people start giving me shit like yeah. oh you gotta you have doctor. your phd oh doctor, do, do, doctor. Do, do. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the final straw because i already felt stupid about it because my wife's an actual medical doctor funny so for you know anytime someone calls me dr ryan i feel like such a fraud and uh and then the the sort of straw that broke my back was when duncan trussell changed his, you know duncan mm-hmm. he's he's a stand-up comic friend of mine here in la uh well now he's in new york but um he uh he changed his Twitter handle to Duncan Trussell PhD just to fuck with me. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's so funny. Anyway, Jenny Nordback, uh, who's not Danish. You're not Danish, no, though. Your I'm husband's Scottish. Danish. You're Scottish. Yeah. You are uh, slash. Let's see. You are a. You worked as a construction management person. Basically, yeah. By day and by night, dominatrix. Yeah. And now you're an author. Yes. Of a book that you just showed me. It's over there. What's it called? It is called The Scarlet Letters. The My Scarlet Letters. My Secret Year of Men in an L.A. Dungeon. 
Okay, so you did it for a year. Did, was it actually a year, or you just decided to call it a year? To... You know what's funny? I struggled with that. I did it for more than a year. It was more like two years. Right. So when they were coming up with subtitles, they were like, my secret year of men in LA Dungeon. I was like, it's more than a year. And they were like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't... People like a fixed amount of time. And I, it still bothers me. Yeah, Because I'm like, I hear it's you. not accurate. See, Even that, that's one too. author talking to another. Yeah. I sense that it's like, yeah, a year. Who does it for a year? Right? Like, oh, I'm going to do it for a year. Like, did you have a Groupon or something? Exactly, but Come like on. people apparently like a sort of contained, concrete concept of it. Yeah, so. and my, you know, my secret year, you know, behind the enemy lines, or my secret yeah. year with ISIS. My, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I hope yeah. that's not my next book. It's a good. <laughs> sorry, the dominatrix, the ISIS dominatrix. <laughs> oh God. So you, I haven't read the book. Uh, obviously, it just came out. When? Recently? Um, it doesn't come out. It comes out on Tuesday. Oh, it comes out on... Well, see, yeah. I couldn't have read it. It doesn't come out till yeah, Tuesday, and today's Wednesday. So um, it will be out, though, by the time people hear this. Yep. So it's out. It came out so a Tuesday three or four weeks ago, people. <laughs> uh, all right. And who's your publisher? St. Martin's Press. See, it's a big-ass publisher. They've got to cover their bases with those subtitles. Yeah. And then they'll probably change the subtitle for the paperback. Really? Prepare yourself. Thing? They did that with mine, yeah. With Sex at Dawn, the, the hard copy subtitle was The Prehistoric, Prehistoric Origins of Modern Sexuality, which I came up with and I liked and I think explains exactly what the book. Is. Yeah. But then when the paperback came out, they said, well, no, we need something that appeals more to women. So we got to get the word relationship in there. <gasps> Good Lord. So then they came up with why wait how we mate why we stray and what it means for modern relationships uh, <sighs> which, which sounds like a self-help book to me and i didn't really love it but by then i was so tired of arguing with my publisher that i was just like whatever i got with, that was the same with the cover too when they first showed it to me it's got like a, a tassel thing that i think is maybe supposed to be a flogger on one end uh, and then in the original, it had like handcuffs coming off the bottom. And I was like, that's not a thing. Like handcuffs are what people who don't do BDSM think BDSM is about. Mm. Like a pro-dom is probably, unless it's like a cop scene, you're not gonna mm. really use handcuffs. So I was like, please take the handcuffs off. So we took them off and then sure enough, there's handcuffs on the back of the cover now. Yeah. Like they found a way to get them in there. See, that's so. the thing. They don't, publishers Listen don't. Me. I'm like talking shit about my own publisher. Well, I've been talking shit about my publisher <laughs> for years. I'm a bad influence. Stay yeah. away from me. I'm a baby author and you're like. Well, so am I. On the wrong I'm a ba I mean, I'm a, I have one book, but I've been bitching about you it since like it came out. You have like one mega successful book though. It's. It's different. No thanks to my fucking publisher. I'll tell you that. You know how much money they spent promoting that book? Nothing. Really? It's never been an ad. It just did it on its own? Never been an ad. No. No. In fact, they told me, when I asked them, like, well, what are you guys going to put an ad in the New York, the New Yorker or the New York Review of Books? Or, and they said, oh, no, we don't... Um, we don't put we don't pay for advertising unless the book has demonstrated um, that it's selling mm. through word of mouth. Right. Yeah. And then when it was New York Times bestseller, I said, so now you're going to put it out. And they said, no, well, now we don't need to because yeah, it's already it's selling. Got its own like, fuck you guys. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Kind of racket. Are they running? Like you'll help me if I don't need it. And then, since I don't need it, you won't help me. Yeah. It's a fucking catch-22. In what Come situation on. does one not yeah, happen? Yeah, yeah. When, when do you pay for anything, you bastards? 
<laughs> anyway, enough about that. Uh, you're, so you, how did this start? Did it start as a, as a book idea or did you just need some extra money or you just like no. beating up dudes or what? I, I mean, I didn't learn that till later, but um, no, I was like 22 and about to graduate from USC with a degree in archaeology, which is really useful for the real world. That's great. And like yeah. $100,000 in student loans. Oh. And, you know, with archaeology, you're sort of academia is the route that you're going down. Right. And I, up until, you know, probably a couple of weeks before graduation was like, all right, PhD, here I come. And then was like, I don't want to be an academic. So it was kind of Did you say fuck too much? I do say You'd fuck too much. sleep with your students? What, um, what's your excuse? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, especially archaeology, it's it's a lifestyle choice if that's what you want to do. And yeah. And it, it's, they're very few paying positions. Yeah. I mean, it's holy like, cow. you know, you've probably got a 10 or 12 year PhD in front of you. And then it's not like you finish that and you've, you're in some sort of prestigious yeah money earning role you're then like trying to scrape your way to some entry-level professor position scrape. i like and, scrape because yeah. there's a lot of scraping going on it's, scraping and brushing yeah like I if think you're in the field really well in field work too i think i had done some field work over those summers and you kind of romanticize it and it's exciting at first but then the reality of like you're out there you know yeah. it's tedious and yeah. um you're usually working in countries where like it's difficult working with the government and mm -hmm. there's all sorts of red tape and you know that's in addition to like all the funding that you have to compete for yeah. and i just grew up enough to realize that while i loved the subject matter and still do it wasn't the lifestyle that i wanted right. so you know i knew i didn't want it but i didn't know what i was going to replace it with right and then at the same time was starting to grow up enough to realize that every relationship I had been in, I was sort of turning myself into whoever my partner wanted me to be. Mm. So whatever their interests were became mine. So, you know, if he was mm. like listening to rap music and smoking pot all day and playing video games, that's what I was into. And, you know, if he was into the outdoors, then right. I was going hiking and had never really stopped to speak my own mind and figure out what I wanted to be doing. And that applied in the bedroom too. Like it was just, however he happened to like it, I right. was fine with as well, but it was totally unfulfilling. I was going through entire uh, relationships, right. never having an orgasm in my partner's presence. And right. it was like, this sucks. So like, it wasn't that you were actually, because I've been with women who've said to me like that they were turned on by what I wanted. That yeah. that actually- That's different. Turned, yeah. Like even, even to the point where like they would be more turned on if I would come up with something they wanted that they didn't want to do, the fact that they were that's doing funny. it despite it yeah. and turned them on more, totally. you know, but that that's not what you're talking about. But yeah, that's you, not the, the situation I'm talking about is where it's like, I am clearly not, right. not into it, but I'm just like kind of going along with it right. because I didn't have the confidence to speak up and be like, Hey, I might be interested in something right a little edgier. Do you think that's and, a pretty common thing among yeah, women? In, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. I think probably more often than not that's the case, yeah. especially with sex. Right. And I mean, I think part of it is just the imagery that we're bombarded with from a really young age. Like if you watch sex in movies, it's like, 
you know, there's no foreplay. It's like they get all excited and then it's like, oh, I'm thrusting into you and they're both having this simultaneous orgasm. We're talking about porn movies. No, like movie movies. Like, (laughs) really? You know, you know. I thought it was all foreplay in movies. No, they're like sort of kissing and then suddenly they're having sex and it's like, wait, nothing really happened in the middle. And like every time the woman is like getting off from just like penis and vagina. Right. That's not the reality a lot of the time. So. Um, yeah, I think a lot of women, and I think a lot of women just don't admit that that's what they're doing. Like they haven't really stopped to realize it themselves. So I think it's hard. I I think it takes a lot of time and self-reflection for women to really figure out what it is they're into. Yeah. It's not, I think for men, it's much more obvious. Yeah. You look at your dick. Is it hard? Oh, I'm into that. (laughs) I'm into bus rides. I'm into ducks. I mean, I mean, I used to, when I was young, I used to get hard-ons constantly. So that made it confusing. Like, you know, yeah. literally bus rides, just the vibrations <laughs> of the bus. Like every day going to school would be like, oh, not again. Not again. But I'm so bad for your boys. <laughs> I know. I have a son now. So. Oh, really? Yeah. How old is he? He's 17 months. So oh, well, it's young. a little early. A long way away. Although he's probably getting his little baby boners already. He is. Yeah. yeah. That's. It's funny. We we talk about kids as if they don't become sexual until they're teenagers, and that's such bullshit. I, the moms these days are all in, like, these mommy Facebook groups where they kind of all ask for advice. And mm. the number of times women are getting really upset because they're, you know, that age and slightly older sons won't leave their penis alone. Like, yeah. what do I do? How do I punish him? How do I get him to yeah. stop playing with oh, it? And geez. they're, like, telling him these awful things. And I'm like, yeah. this is when it starts. Like, yeah. he's going to have issues forever yeah. because you told him horrible things were going to happen if he didn't stop touching his Do you penis. know what Freud's father said to him? No, I don't. Freud was a compulsive masturbator when he yeah. was a little boy or, or just touching it or whatever. His father told him that he would cut off his dick if he didn't stop touching it. Freud recounted this later in oh his God. memoir. Right? The Western culture is still suffering from what that guy told that little boy. Wow. You know? Isn't that crazy? But yeah. And they're like, it, it's, it hasn't occurred to them that like, it's fine. It's your body. You're supposed to it's a baby it monkey. comfortable with it. And like, yeah. it's, it's okay. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right. He's not a pervert. He's two and has just discovered he has a penis. Like, it's, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's like one of the best discoveries he'll ever make. <laughs> yeah yeah no i don't have kids so i'm you know totally disqualified from giving parenting advice or whatever but and yet like you posted i'm Mm -hmm. creepy and was twitter stalking you You posted an article about parenting in the netherlands yeah the dutch the the educational thing yeah i was reading it just going like yes yeah it's great what are we doing yeah we're, we're putting all this pressure on kids, you know, getting them into this fucking rat race that we consider to be the good life somehow, even though nobody seems to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at Holland, I don't know how many Dutch people, you know, but they're fucking smart, cool people. Yeah. They're, they're certainly, you know, not lagging behind the U.S. in any measure. Yeah. And their kids are just like, hey, have fun, kids. You know, it's all about having fun and yeah. being with other kids and, and coloring and, you know, playing. I mean, kids are, I don't know, I, I interviewed a guy named Peter Gray a year or two ago who's an educational expert. Um, he's he's all about how kids need to play yeah. and need to be outside, unstructured learn. play. Yeah. Yeah, just. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, I think we're probably going to end up homeschooling. 
because I just can't even fathom throwing him into a school system where we are. Yeah. Like, it just, especially when he's little. Like, yeah. I just want him to be able to. It's like, a fucking be factory. Okay you don't want him to stamp out the individuality. Yeah. I was just talking to a woman uh, earlier yeah. uh, who is fascinating. Uh, Calla Rose. I don't know if her episode will come out before this one <laughs> or after this one, but you know, look for it, folks. Calla Rose. She she's an environmental. Like, it's really hard to say what she does. Essentially, she gets people together to make political changes that are positive for the environment. Okay. So she's... So yeah, like a lobbyist. Sort of, put but that not title really. It, yeah, because she's not... all sorts of Exactly. And she's not it. taking money from industry groups. She's, so yeah. she's this independent agent that the people involved just all sort of respect her. She understands the science. She understands the politics. She understands the environmental activism position. She understands all these different things. And she brings everyone together. And she does this amazing work. And when I said to her, like, so how, I, this was after the mics were off, I said to her, like, how the hell do you get, like, what kind of education leads to this? And she said, well, uh, Waldorf. When she was a kid, she went to Waldorf school, oh. which is this unstructured educational system developed by Rudolf Steiner, I believe, um, that really believes the kids learn through cultivating their curiosity hmm. so you don't force kids into a structure where you now it's science and now it's math it's like hey oh you like numbers let's talk about numbers yeah. let's you know whatever wherever their hunger is that's what's gonna um you know fortify them and yeah. that's the best nutrition is is following your natural hungers you know Anyway, this is far from... I know. We're on a tangent to beat all tangents we, yeah, here. we're supposed to be talking about... We're supposed to be talking about, like, talking about dirty parenting. sex, and we're talking about babies. Right, this let's is reel it back in here. Let's really? get dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so you're, you're uh, a budding archaeologist. You're at an age where you're saying, what the fuck am I doing? What do I want my life to be? Were you married at that point? No, I was in a relationship you know, a fairly serious relationship, but But yeah. you weren't coming. No. And you, so you looked at your life and said, what, I want to just get a job and think about this for a while? Is that well, so, how you got into the construction thing? Yeah. So it was like, all right, I need a job. Like I'm, right. I need to support myself. So I just started working and, you know, took the job that I could get. And, um, then, you know, had sort of become what my generation is terrified of, which is like, oh, God, I've graduated and I'm working an eight to five. Like, right. what does this mean about me? Is In this... something that has nothing to do with your education. Yeah. Am yeah. I now trapped? Like, is this what my life is going to be? Am right. I now going to crank out 2.5 kids and, like, right. you know, this is it for me? So that just kind of fueled the panic. And... I think I just went down, you know, people keep looking for this clear answer of like exactly why I started working there. And it was one of those like internet rabbit holes where I started Googling, hmm. you know, kind of kinky stuff and ended up with like, you know, like Harry Potter BDSM fan fiction at first, <laughs> you know, like Hermione getting spanked and like, you know, stuff like that where I was like, oh God, like, okay, we'll so were you, this later. Were you doing, were you Googling it just to like get off out of your own curiosity yeah, or were I mean, you think, thinking job, no, extra money job, thing? No, I didn't even know people could do it for money. Uh, I mean, right. like dominatrix was kind of, there's that archetype, but you just sort of imagine right. that. That's like, all right, I know people are prostitutes, but it right. doesn't really occur to me that I can go do that. Right. So, and definitely didn't know what a dungeon was. 
So as I'm Googling, I discover there's a dungeon like 10 miles from where I'm living in LA and it, there's the banner on the side of the page that says now hiring, no experience necessary. And it was like, whoa, you know, not only are people doing this professionally, but like they're offering to train you. And it just seemed like this really, I'm a huge control freak. So it seemed like this very controlled way to go about it. Mm. And in addition to that, like I didn't have to emotionally put anything on the line the way mm. you do if you explore with a partner where you right. have to kind of put it out there and be like, hey, I think I might be into this. It was right. like, well, I don't know these people. And right. If they're there, then they're obviously into something too. So, you know, less fear of judgment, I yeah, think. Yeah. So, you know, didn't tell the boyfriend initially because I did that thing where you justify the lie to yourself where you're like, well, what if I don't get the job? I don't want to. And then you're like, well, what if I don't like it? I don't want to have the fight with him. And, you know, before you know it, you've been working there for four weeks and you're lying about it and it's bad. So, um, but I mean, before that went, did the job interview got hired and kind of what was the interview like a little more personal than your average job interview mm. as you can imagine yeah um i mean i think they were trying to figure out how much experience i had in that world and was i going to run screaming the first time they put me in a room with a client mm -hmm. so um I, I mean, the answer was I had no experience. I thought like blowjobs were kinky back then. Like I. Are you a Mormon or something? No, I just <laughs> was like. I should have had you sign a waiver. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, uh, so I, wow. you know, they were like, "Have you ever been spanked?" And of course, I'm like trying to bluff my way through it. Like, oh yeah, totally. And no, was the answer. Mm. So. They saw and did did me. you have any sort of hank any sense that this would? No, I don't know if it turns you on, but was there a, a, an, a, an appeal? Yeah. I mean, I definitely like that power exchange and the sort of flirting with non-consent kind of like, uh. I mean, now it's like, you know, we just dump it as 50 shades of gray, but that kind of stuff definitely turned me on. And I was getting my hands on like dirty romance novels where like mm. that kind of stuff was happening, but right. not like full blown BDSM erotica. So knew there was curiosity there, but like hadn't really gotten to a point where I was comfortable enough with myself to kind of flush out what right. that meant. And you hadn't explored it with, with partners. No, yeah. not at all. Um, so they had me start as a submissive because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, oh. I walk in and I'm like, I'm a dominatrix. And they sort of pat me on the head and go, <laughs> sure you, are, you will be one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. So you started as a submissive. So you sort of did the whole, the whole, uh, spectrum. Yeah. Hmm. Which, you know, you learn a lot yeah. that way. Yeah. I think the best doms start as subs or at least right. explore that side. Right. I think you Interesting. Can't... How are, are you liking this ginger I am tea? I'm loving this tea. All right. I need to. This is, see, this is all about first experiences yeah, for you, right? This is really good. Jenny said earlier she had never had ginger tea before so i'm blowing her mind right yeah. here with the ginger tea lemon it's ginger lemongrass Ooh. very subversive <laughs> yeah we'll get out some of that chamomile need, like, later sponsors <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly brought to you by ginger lemongrass tea yeah um yeah like an so, obvious sponsor choice for you like no no it'd be vodka yeah. or tequila or something um all right. So where are we? So you're okay. So you, you have this interview. So it's very personal. They want to know about experience, blah, blah, blah. 
basically they want to know, are you, can you be in a uh, non-conventional space and, and be respectful and draw boundaries that you're going to honor and all that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to have a pretty good head on your shoulders to handle that. It's not, there's a lot of thought and psychology that goes into a session in that environment. So you've got to kind of be able to think on your toes and read people. And in addition to exactly what you're talking about with boundaries, you've got to be able to put your foot down. Right. Even as a submissive, ironically. Much more so as a submissive. Yeah, because, yeah, who knows? You have to control where things go. Yeah. So you're you're submissive not to a dom, you're submissive to a client. Yeah. In that, right. So, and... So how's it work financially? Like you get a cut, uh, they pay the house and you get a cut. Yeah. So you split it 50, 50 with the house. Right. Right. So they're paying the desk and. And do they have, is there like a, an alarm button if things get out of hand or how's that work? There should be. And it's funny looking back on it now. I'm like, I don't think that was really safe, but no, there's just an intercom in all of the rooms. It's not even, there's not like cameras or anything. Right. Um, Hopefully they put you with known clients, at least at the beginning. For your early sessions, yeah. yeah, You're going in there with regulars. And, you know, when you go in to interview with the client to set boundaries and that kind of stuff, you've got a mentor in there with you who's helping you figure out what questions to ask. Right. um, You know, making sure they feel comfortable sending you into the room. Right. So. How long were you a submissive before you moved? About six months, oh. and then I became a switch. My six months as a submissive in an L.A. dungeon. Exactly. And then you switched Heidi. over. Now, did you switch over because you, your natural predilection led you there, or just it's safer, or you like no, it more? No, I mean, or? I was very much driving towards that. From the day I walked in, it was like, huh. what do I need to learn to make this happen? This is what I want to be doing. So you felt so. naturally you're a top. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was bugging the other girls at any and every opportunity like teach me things take me in your session let me watch you right you know how do i do was it weird to to be acting as a submissive for six months when you felt your natural inclination was the opposite of that yeah it was tough i mean i think topping from the bottom is what you call it right i had to curb that impulse and didn't always do a very good job of it where like (laughs) you're hitting me wrong yeah i mean you're (laughs) controlling the scene and manipulating them and you know very much topping from the bottom which to some extent you have to do in a professional environment but you know you can cross a line with it where like you're not really letting them explore anymore does that ever happen like do are you you know you're in that situation where you're you're acting a way that is not in alignment with your own energy but also I mean, even if it were in alignment with your energy, you still need to be in charge of what's going on. You still right. need to, like, do, I mean, do you ever have these moments where, like, the air just goes out of it? Like, oh, like, the the whole illusion is just gone now? Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I'd never really thought about it that way, but yeah. Huh. I mean, I think that could happen sometimes, but, I mean, other times it would go wrong. Like, you plan to, like, make this really great scene, and then something happens and you, like, get the giggles. Right. You know, and like, it's just ridiculous. And you're right. trying to like get it together because it's serious and <laughs> they want it to be serious, but you can't fucking stop laughing. Really? And Do I'm they like, get a refund if that happens? How's, no, how's that I mean, work? no one ever. I had one where like, I just couldn't get it together. I was like burying my head in a pillow trying to pretend I was crying. Was it because the situation was so ridiculous or? 
some of the time, I mean, that one in particular, I can't even really explain it. It just like, yeah. he was trying to like overdo it. And I mean, he was playing this like Maharaja character and uh-huh. he was just being so bombastic, <laughs> but like, and he'd like picked these implements that he picked like the heaviest floggers because he thought they were like the uh-huh. toughest, uh-huh. but he couldn't, they were like too heavy for him. So he like, couldn't even really do what he needed to do with them. So it was just like something about that situation. Just, I mean, it's that thing where you start yeah. laughing at a, like laughing at a funeral. It's or inappropriate, church, yeah. you just can't help it. Yeah. And the more pressure there is not to laugh, the funnier it is. Well, and other times it was like, um, like small penis humiliation is a big thing. Uh. Um, and sometimes the guy really has a tiny penis and other times he doesn't, but wants to be treated as though he does. Hmm. And, you know, I had one client where he wanted me to pretend to be this like very aloof, bitchy therapist who's like giving him his, his therapy. And all the while, you know, he asks like, may I may I start my exercises? And I don't know what he's going to do when we go into the Mm. session. I was like, yeah, start your exercises. And it's this like naked man who's like prancing around doing like weird squats and lunges with his tiny penis. (laughs) And I'm supposed to be just like glaring at him (laughs) and telling him that, you know, he's inadequate and whatever. And I'm like, like, keep it together. Well, it's tough too because funny. the walls aren't as thick as you would want them to oh, be. Oh no! So you can hear what's going on in other rooms. Oh so sometimes no! Sometimes that would set you off too. Like you would hear someone do something in the other room and start to laugh, and then they hear you laughing, so then they start laughing, oh, and boy. you're just like <laughs> an unexpected challenge of being a dominatrix is keeping a straight face. Yeah, so. yeah. Wow, I hope that line's in the book somewhere. <laughs> That's <laughs> Not, a good line. But some of those scenes are. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I, I've had a couple i guess i had a dominatrix on and i had a humiliatrix on the podcast mm. she had her name is sierra lynch okay. she has an interesting thing where like one of the things that guys get off on apparently is being ignored mm-hmm. so she's got phone lines where they'll call the phone she'll pick up and say yeah this is sierra and they'll say oh sierra and she'll, hold on a second put the phone down walk away and they're paying by the totally. minute to be ignored. What a gig that is. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Man, man. So were, was it a situation where all the, the people who worked there were women and the men were clients? Did you ever have female clients? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, that's how it works. But um, definitely had some women who would come in. Um, I think they get more women now who are trying to kind of learn how to do it. And that was often why a woman would come in less like she was trying to be satisfied through a scene and more like, how do I do this or how do I get my partner to do this? And then sometimes we had couples who would come in, Um, especially couples where like they wanted to explore and maybe wanted to like experiment adding another person into the relationship but we're worried about the emotional implications of like just inviting a friend over Mm. so i think they felt like that professional boundary maybe gave them Mm. a safety net where like you know the dominatrix is unlikely to right try and like then infiltrate your relationship right. that's something they're scared and of. also as you described you, you know they know it's a non-judgmental environment yeah. so yeah you know one of the things i've learned I, i'm not particularly into bdsm myself but since sex at dawn came out i've um you're like a cult hero in that community for that book as i'm sure you know well I, in in most sort of alternative sex communities you know which is interesting because you know, I think I'm disappointingly vanilla from their perspective <laughs> when they get to actually meet me, you know. But um, 
but what has struck me in in being invited into these communities and meeting people and you know going to dungeons and you know swingers clubs and you know orgies and all the stuff that I've done is how different those worlds are from the way they're perceived uh, outside, including by me. Like um, I, I have talked about this before, but like a pivotal moment in my life long before Sex of Dawn came out was the first time I was in a sexual situation with two other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a friend of mine and a woman, a guy friend and a, a woman. And there was this moment where um, I just sort of went to change the music and roll a join and I was sort of sitting uh, you know, five or six feet away from them and they were having sex and I was rolling the joint and I was looking at them and and it struck me how the predominant feeling that I felt in the room was not this sort of porn fuck cock cunt kind of thing it was trust mm. that they were having sex and they knew I was there and they knew I was watching them and, and but they loved me and trusted me and yeah. like were able to just be together and not worry about me and and I was able to let them do the, their thing and not feel left out and like there was just this sort of overriding feeling of like we all love each other we all trust each other it's all cool we're all relaxed and it's just and that I think that was the moment that Sex of Dawn was born in my head because that was the first moment when I was like, wow, this sex, it's not really about yeah. fucking or pleasure or, you know, it, it's there's there's this deeper level where it's just about uh, trust and community and yeah. kindness and whatever. So when I've gone to dungeons, you know, people think of dungeons who've never been to one as like a place where where how can I say it? It's like. I guess what I'm trying to say is that in the BDSM community, as I understand it, uh, no one's really being dominated. Yeah. It's all about boundaries and respect and setting things up beforehand. It's a very careful place. It is. And it's, I mean, the fact that you just keep using the word love, it's so loving and supportive and it's... Yeah, I mean, I think people misunderstand it as, like, it's about making your partner feel less than or... Right, whereas actually it's about making, helping your partner connect to something they want to connect to. Yeah, and in some ways, the best dominant is sort of submissive because they're doing it to please their subs. That's so, it. Like, it's all yin-yang. In a loving... Yeah cyclical relationship you're yeah. you know they're really doing it to please the sub so who's in control right like, yeah it's and the sub can stop it at any time they've right. set the boundaries it but they're you know it's uplifting because they're being allowed to do whatever it is that they're into or have it done to them and yeah in that way i mean the dom is often the last one to think about their own pleasure because right. they're trying to make sure that their sub is taken right. care of right. so it's a very giving supportive loving relationship when it's healthy obviously yeah yeah it's funny it's it is it's so clearly a a yin yang thing where yeah it's unclear who's on top who's on the bottom who's getting who's giving you know and, and but i think pretty much all decent relationships end up in that place yeah you know, it's not clear who's giving, who's getting, right. you know, more or less or whatever. Boom, 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 
So we're getting very airy fairy here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the transcendental yeah, uh, possibilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're, what about safe words? How does that work? Um, do, you, so, do you issue them like a mantra at a... Yeah, I mean, or, it's some people have their sort of signature safe word oh. that they insist upon using. Uh-huh. Um, a, a couple that I was close to at the time always use Sasquatch. Um, oh. it, I mean, it's got to be a word that's not going to come up in your scene. See, Rogan would love so. that one. <laughs> <laughs> that would just get him off, probably. Right. Sasquatch! <laughs> going squatching. Um, Sasquatch, squatching. that's a good one. Did um, I, there Apparently, people, there are women who get off on the idea of being raped by Sasquatch. Really? That's a thing. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. saying that as though I'm surprised, but yeah. like, this is not surprising at all. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's like a big hulking. Big gorilla. Beast. Yeah, yeah. King Kong. I mean, that's yeah. that's just a BDSM movie, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Again, who's the top, who's the bottom? We don't know. Yep. It's not clear. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now in, in the BDSM situation you were in, were people having sex or it's non- no so sex at the dungeon there is no sex or at least the dungeon yeah. that i worked at right. there's no penetration of any kind no exchange of bodily fluids right um no like traditional sex acts so hand jobs and blow jobs and that kind of stuff i mean one of those would fall into the penetration category but yeah so i think in that sense it gets confusing to people who mm. have only had vanilla sex because they're like well, wait what how is it sex work then like right. what are you doing that's sexual yeah. so it's do the clients come that's kind of their prerogative. That's that gray area where, like, you're not going to do it for them, but if they start doing it, you're just going to, like, let them do their thing and you're not going to in- interfere and be like, no, stop. Right. So, I mean, some of them did, some of them didn't. Could it be part of the scene? Like, they're jerking off while you're telling them what a bad boy they are? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, well, why'd you quit? Assuming you have. Yeah, I, I have, Mom. I have something else to tell you. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't do it professionally anymore. Um, I Just birthday parties. Yeah, the occasional <laughs> one. Kind of was growing up and had learned a lot and had one of those 
turning point scenes where I realized I was getting jaded, where like just had a shitty attitude going to work that night and like didn't really want to be there. And it mm. was a couple who came in to play with me and just like did not want the scene. So of course they picked me like of the lineup. I was the one that didn't want to be there. So they wanted to play with me. So it was like I got in there and then it ended up being an amazing session. Like the girl was just really insecure and I was actually a little bit worried that it was an abusive relationship, but she just turned out to be really shy. And once we really got into it, she blossomed and it reminded me of how powerful all of that was mm. and how I used to experience it through those eyes and that I was starting to not do that anymore. And the fact that it just didn't have that power for me and I was kind of taking it for granted. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. It just seemed sort of sad and frustrating. And like I wanted to go out with it being a positive experience that I'd grown from and not something where I was starting to get bitter and jaded. So I just sort of called it quits after that session. I was like, I'm, you know, I feel really good leaving today. I can feel like I had a really powerful last scene and I'm just not going to do this anymore. Hmm. And I think it had gotten to be a lot with work as well. Like I was starting to make my way through the ranks in my day job. And with that was coming more responsibility and travel and juggling my schedule was getting really tough. Yeah. So it was like something had to give. And, and you didn't really need the extra money probably. You're getting paid more. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, you're like not scraping by anymore. So it, if something was gonna give, it was gonna be right. the sex work, not my day job where I was starting to really find my footing, so. Yeah, it's funny that we call it sex work. Yeah, it covers such a broad category of things. Yeah, and to what extent is it sex work? I mean, you're not interacting sexually with anyone. I mean, you know? to them I am. Yeah. Like, for them it's sexual. Yeah, I but think. I mean, a guy could watch you from his bedroom True. window walking down the street <laughs> and jerk off, and from his perspective, that's a sexual interaction, yeah. right? So it's, yeah. I mean, I think because some of them are getting off, that makes it pretty clearly, you know, if like a massage has a happy ending, that's the difference between a masseuse and sex work, I would say. Yes, but but she's giving him the happy ending or he's giving her the happy ending. Yeah. Right. As opposed. Yeah. yeah whatever. It's yeah. a technicality, but it's just it's funny the things we consider to be sex and yeah. in that case there's actually no physical there interaction no sex happening yeah right yeah yeah which which is, is a legal thing as well because right. you know yeah. bdsm is not considered sex legally in right. most states it's as like i understand fantasy it or, yeah. right you don't you know prostitution's illegal that's not prostitution right yeah Interesting. Yeah. So what, how did this interact with your, your personal life? Like you, you were in this relationship, you lied to your boyfriend for a while, yeah. then you told him presumably, or he found so, out or what happened? Funny story. Um, I got to the point where I'd been doing it long enough and lying for long enough and like coming home with like bruises that I had to hide. Oh, that's right. You were submissive. You know, it's right. tough to hide a cane mark. Like when you've got lined bruises Yeah, and you're down your white legs, skin too. Oh my, I yeah, bruise it shows if up. you look at me wrong. So yeah, I'm, it's starting to get kind of tough. I'm realizing like, you know, what do I do? It was funny. Neil had, Neil Strauss um, had this like perfect strategy for how he would have like lied his way out of it. And I was like, well, why weren't you there at the time? It's not surprising. 
I apparently was not that good a liar. <laughs> Neil, Neil, it's an evil, it's an evil uh, talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he could just like see the way out of it. To me, it was like I either have to tell him, and it's going to be a huge revelation and a big fight. That like, hey, I've been seeing clients on the side, and I might be kinky, and it was just so much to drop on the table. Or I needed to just break up with him and move mm. on and not have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. The latter option was starting to sound pretty good. It yeah. just seemed so dramatic. And right about then, he went to school and left his phone at my house. And it pings, and I look at it, and the text message is something about, like, you left the condom on the floor last night, and my dog ate it. What do I do? Oh, no. And it was like, there was no mistaking that. I couldn't misunderstand yeah. what was happening. Yeah. So of course I do what any girl does in that situation, unlock the phone and start snooping through his text messages. And it turned out he was not only cheating with his ex-girlfriend, but he was super kinky and into all kinds of weird fetishes that he was exploring with her because she already knew about it and had never felt comfortable bringing it up with me. So that gave me this just like dropped out of the universe out to sit him down and be like, I know what you've been doing and watch his face blanch. Like, how much does she know? And then before he starts trying to explain himself, say like, but wait, there's more. I've been lying to, you know, I've been working as a That's very big of you. Because you could have just made it all his fault and never mentioned any of your own shit well it's funny how you get angry it's cool that you, you know, did that like you've been and i did i was seething all day like he's betrayed me and it's like you've been bad too it's a different yeah. kind of bad yeah but i think i was lucky that i went to work at the dungeon that day before i talked to him because i was able to talk to the women there and so many of them were in alternative open poly whatever relationships so they had such a different perspective on it right where they were like you know are you going to break up with him and i was like i don't see how i can not after this and they right. said well if that's what you're going to do anyway and you care about him and you've both been lying and you're both interested in some of the same stuff you've got nothing to lose why don't you explore some of this with him so i offered up a sort of let's explore an open relationship, let's explore our kinks together. And, you know, he was open to it and excited about it. So we kind of went down that path together. Wow. Um, Interesting. So that was its own great. learning experience. And Is this your husband? No. No. That would be such an interesting <laughs> ending to that story. But, of say. course, the truth is always more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, what's interesting to me about, I mean, so many things, but... That story is cool because it put you in the position of the wife who doesn't know her husband's going to the dungeon mm-hmm. to like have his secret sex life. Yeah. So you got to experience it from both sides there. Yeah. yeah. And that's which was I'm sure very painful, but also yeah, but healthy and good a way. learning experience. Yeah. And yeah. I think that it hadn't crossed my mind either that he was cheating or that he was into anything that he wasn't telling me. Like, I think we get so self-absorbed that I assumed he was satisfied in the relationship and that I was the only one who was unfulfilled. Hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, I think you always kind of look at people who are cheated on and it's like, well, surely they knew or there were signs or whatever. And I had no idea. It just didn't cross my mind that 
he was doing that. So you that know, was a learning experience too. The, the deep tragedy to me of that story is that I'll bet that story is replicated millions of times mm. across this country. People who have been married their whole lives and the whole time they had the same secret. Yeah. Their marriage could have been so wonderful. Yeah. And because neither one of them ever came clean, she had her secret that she died with, and he had his secret he died yeah. with, and the whole thing was a big fucking waste of time. Yeah, it's so they true. They could have been fucking their heads off for 40 years instead of, you know, yeah. resenting the other one for not being what, in fact, the other one was yeah. the whole time, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the you know, the best thing that, my favorite sort of um, type of email that I get from people, and I imagine you're going to get the same type, is the emails from people who say, reading your book finally gave me either the courage or the opportunity to have this conversation. Permission. I read it and it was like it gave uh, me permission that like this is okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, to be what I am. And then, and then you have that conversation, and sometimes that's the end of the marriage or mm -hmm. the relationship, but better yeah but a lot of times it isn't yeah you know a lot of times it works out the way it did with you where it's like oh shit you too oh wow yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see where this goes yeah wow that's great so then uh okay so you quit where's your personal life at this point were you still with him or had you split um, up and i don't want to get too deep into your personal stuff don't no, share anything no, no. you don't I want mean, to but I'm, i have laid it out in the book it's like, all out there were you were you in a relationship with someone who knew what you were doing at any point um i mean i was in a relationship with him then for the rest of the time that i was working at the dungeon oh okay so, so that stopped. lasted at least till the end of yeah, your, your yeah. year or whatever My it was two years <laughs> <laughs> your year and change My, My year, year and change in I'm a doing air quotes <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I was with him, but then also was in a relationship with a woman at the same time. Oh, uh, you guys opened it up. Yeah. At that point, right? So and right. like the women that I was working with were coming home as play partners, and right. you know we just kind of figured it out as we went. We weren't completely sure what boundaries to set initially. Right. And it's such so a did you discover like, like a bisexual aspect? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's another one. Going right. in, I would have absolutely considered myself straight, like open-minded, totally fine with whatever anyone was into. Right. But then suddenly was like, there was a particular woman from like the minute I walked into the dungeon where I was like, I'm really into her. And mm. she kind of toyed with me because she could tell. Mm -hmm. And um, she was the one I ended up having a relationship with. But... Um, yeah, so it's like once you take the rules away and stop thinking about what you're supposed to be doing, all sorts of things that you didn't expect to open up do. And yeah. Yeah, that I learned that I'm not, I'm attracted to people and mm -hmm. that, you know, some men, yes, some not so much. And then some women I'm into and some yeah. I'm not. And I think that's common. It's just... It's too bad the term transsexual is already taken because I have a bunch of friends who yeah. are like you just described. I like pansexual. Pan, yeah. Or heteroflexible was one I liked at the time where I hadn't really... <laughs> That's starting to sound German. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's a compound. Yeah. Um, 
but like the, that's sort of like yeah whatever yeah. it's it's like, i don't know man woman I'm, I'm into that person right there yeah you could be trans yourself and argue you know if yeah. you're somewhere in between and i'm into you like what does that mean yeah so yeah wow that's i mean how old were you then mid-20s early 20s early 20s that's yeah. a real it's a big year for you yeah I mean, of, personally, not just the 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 SM uh, BDSM thing, but yeah. you sort of went into it one person and came out someone much more yeah. nuanced. Completely. Huh. Yeah, and was like comfortable with that in a way that I had never been, and I mean, clearly comfortable talking about it. And uh, were you comfortable then talking about it? Or were you still trying to keep it a secret? I kept it a secret for as long as I was doing it. It was like in the years following that I started to tell people. And some people in my life, I didn't even, they knew I was working on a book, but they didn't know what it was about. So, you know, it was like once I had finished the book and it was about to start hitting the internet, what it was about, I said, all right, surprise. Not only is this what my book is about, but I used mm-hmm. to be a dominatrix. So. Was that like family thing? Parents, brothers, sisters? Um, I mean, my mom, I told shortly after I stopped doing it, um, my dad, it was when I was telling him what the book was about. What was that like? Um, I mean, that's an interesting, complicated relationship that is explored in the book as well. And so I think for him, you know, I revealed like, okay, this is what my book is about. And he initially was like, I'm relieved it's not about me. And then I was like, well, funny, you should mention it. You are actually in it as well. So um, I had him read it and needed to make sure he was comfortable with everything that was in there and, you know, gave him permission to question any of it. And he was supportive and let me tell the story the way I needed to tell it. Really? It was good, but... um, How does he... How is he involved? Um, he married a woman when I was in high school who now it's very clear was mentally ill, but then it was kind of questionable. Um, extremely intelligent, like astrophysicist level intelligence. Um, so things got really complicated when they got married and they had another baby and um, she started accusing me of doing all kinds of strange things like breaking into their house and stealing uh, teaspoons and like uh, weird shit where I was like, I'm in high school. I'm interested in boys. Like I'm not a criminal mastermind. I don't even know your alarm code. Like, so that got to such a level of tension that we went our separate ways and didn't speak for like eight years, um, better part of eight years. Uh, we didn't have a relationship at all. Um, like no contact whatsoever and then during the time that I was working at the dungeon saw the news and she had shot and killed their seven-year-old and then killed oh, herself no. so oh fuck that was <sighs> you know just devastating that he was going through that and um opened up you know I was so angry and resentful prior to that and it was just like there's no place for that anger anymore this he needed love and support and forgiveness and so I kind of explore in the book how we went about that and you know what that's like trying to rebuild when 
I was kind of a child when all of that was going on. You don't think of yourself as a child when you're in high school. You think you're an adult, but I was a kid. And yeah. then, you know, by the time he's back in my life, I'm an adult who's making choices like working at a dungeon and, you know, I'm very much independent and figuring things out for myself. So trying to like reestablish that parental relationship with that mm. gap is tough. And then when you've yeah. got all the rest of the baggage that goes along with it, yeah, it's complicated, but yeah i mean i I don't want to be too obvious about it but it it seems like the the realization for you would have would have replicated some of the bdsm energy in the Mm -hmm. sense that you felt a victim of him for a long time and now suddenly you realized he was a victim of her and she's a victim of herself and It's like yeah, the the lines of power are very unclear. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah, it's you know, kind of a downer, but well, I, it's, I a, think it's, it's a downer. To talk about it, that like yeah, but it's also it's, there, it's also right? cool. I mean, that you know, how else would you have come yeah. back into each other's lives? That, you know? Exactly. I mean, you don't ever want to say there's a silver lining or a positive to that sort of tragic situation right. because there isn't. But yeah. You know, it did allow us to reestablish our relationship. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's wild. So, did the idea for the book come about when you were in the dungeon, or you're like, ah, I should write about this, or later somebody told yeah. you? Or no, I mean, I started writing while I was working there. Really? Just not any kind of serious narrative, but just like. I very quickly realized that like that mindset of going in and having no idea and everything being shocking and surprising and exciting was going to go away really quickly. So I wanted to try to capture that. Mm. And like, it's so hard when you don't do that to remember, like, what did I think was going to happen? And it's funny to look back and realize how naive you were or how wrong your expectations were. How long ago was this? Like how? Uh, um, 2010, I started working in the dungeon. So. Uh, okay. So. Seven years ago. Seven years ago. So. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah. So I mean. So you're looking sort of back on it from five cases. or six years. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah. And, I mean, you have a degree in archaeology. You weren't. Were you a writer as a kid? Do you? I mean, were you I've confident always, that you'd yeah. be able to pull it off? Yeah, it's funny that people have asked me that recently, like, oh, did you write it yourself? And it never crossed my mind that anyone else would write it. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to write. It just... You could get Neil to write it for you if you have half a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, the reason we're talking about Neil is Neil introduced us. Yeah. Uh, and you just recently did his podcast with Gabby in, uh, in The yeah, Truth, the truth barrel. barrel. Yeah, Yeah, we've both been in The Truth we've Barrel We've both now. been in, not together, but yeah. we're both in The Truth Barrel. So if people want to hear more of you and talking to Neil about, Neil and Gabby about yeah. this, they can check out The Truth Barrel. Yeah. Um, anyway, so where were we? Oh, uh, writing it yourself. Like you weren't intimidated by the idea, like I'm going to write a book. No, I guess I was just arrogant enough to be like, (laughs) of course I'm going to write it. You need some arrogance. That's for sure. So, uh, what about selling it? Was that a difficult process? Did you get an agent and go that route or how'd you do it? Yeah, I did. I'm almost embarrassed to tell that story because people struggle with it so much, especially getting an agent. Writers spend years sending out manuscripts and get rejection after rejection. And that's really tough. And 
that wasn't the path for me. Fell into place, huh? It just, yeah, it, the universe conspired in my favor. And, mm. you know, a friend of a friend showed a, a guy some of my, well, he was talking about me. And this guy called and was like, I hear you've done this crazy stuff and you've written some stuff about it. Can I see it? I was like, I don't know who this guy is. Like, I was kind of dismissive at first and then just sent him some stuff. And he was like, this is good. I'd like to introduce you to an agent friend of mine. And at that point, I still wasn't taking it that seriously. It, I'm, we're in LA, everyone name drops. Everyone's and everyone an agent. Everyone has a con yeah. connection and yeah, everyone's yeah. an agent. And Were so you was, writing the book on spec or just thinking about writing it? Or I what? had started trying to put it together at that point. All right. So you, so know, you had sample chapters, Yeah. no I proposal had, or anything. No, yeah. didn't have a full proposal, but I had like probably three or four chapters that were really like scenes with clients that right. I had written out. Right. So, I mean, they could see that I could carry the narrative and right. you know, that there was um, something there, meat to the story beyond the sensationalism of it. Yeah. So, you know, he introduces me, his name's Leopoldo Gout, and he introduces me to my agent. And, you know, it turns out she is legitimately a really serious agent in New York and she's been in publishing forever and she's wonderful. And she wanted to work with me. So then, yeah, you know, I just magically, an agent falls into my lap. And yeah. I didn't even have to go through the rejection process. So um, <laughs> I do I have guilt about that because it, it yeah. feels like I didn't. Pay your dues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm kind of waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and then we put the proposal together and sold the book that way. So. Yeah. Cool. That's an exciting process. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that the way my personal life played out with that though I was pregnant as I was in New York pitching the book to editors but like not pregnant enough to show or talk about it but pregnant enough to be like really sick so <laughs> I'm like in cabs driving all over New York like please uh, don't puke in their office please don't puke in their office and then you know funny. it I didn't realize just how life-changing having a child was going to be as I mentioned I'm such a control freak that mm. like I thought I would kind of master it and have my life back to some level of normalcy so when we were coming up with the deadline and the timeline f for the book deal of when my book was going to be due at first they had it sort of due as my son was due I was like, ah, we should probably push that back a little bit just in case I don't finish it. Mm. Um, let's make it when he's like three months old because I should have be, things. And I'll have plenty of time. Exactly <laughs> one of those things I'm talking about where like you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, what did I think my life yeah. was going to look like three months? Sure, in? he'll I'm be like, in school by then. We'll yeah. have a routine. He'll be sleeping through the night. Uh -huh. it's, yeah. Yeah. So, that was madness because yeah. I didn't finish it before he was born. So then I've got a newborn and I'm trying to finish my first manuscript. Oh, so in some ways I paid my dues that way of just like yeah, that's sitting insanity. up trying to, it was nuts. I don't know. Hopefully don't, you didn't have any postpartum depression or anything. That would, I mean, I cried a lot, yeah. but I don't know how much Could of that just was because you were so stressed out. How much out. it was stress and how much of it was not yeah. sleeping. And yeah. I mean, my poor husband put up with just meltdown after meltdown. I, it took a while for his wife to reappear, but yeah, um, yeah that was a. I don't. There's parts of that three months that are a little fuzzy now. Like I don't completely remember them. Yeah. but I got it done, and yeah, you know. and it comes out Tuesday. Yeah. So, how are you feeling now? 
good. A week before it's it's gonna come out. Really excited. Yeah. Like ready for it just to be out in the world and yeah. Start. It's another birth. It's a quick. It, I mean, I've never had a kid, but uh, having sex at dawn is the closest experience I've ever had, I think. I mean, also because I co-authored it with my wife, so there's that yeah. angle, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it goes out there. It's something you, you put all this energy into, and then it's done, and it's out. And then you're talking about it all the time, but then it takes on its own identity. Yeah. You know, and people I respond to it. I write about this now, like how I think that's going to go and what I think it's going to feel like. Because it's another one. Because you're naive. You don't I know how naive you no are. I have no idea yeah. what it's yeah. going to become. I'm sure you couldn't have imagined that for sex. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. But, I mean, it's the, the one thing that I've learned, I mean, I've learned a lot, but one of the more important things is that people have a reaction to it, that, and it's not a reaction to me. Hmm. You know, so they love it or they hate it or they, whatever, it affects their lives in a certain way. And the closest I can describe it is like, I feel like some famous person's father, Hmm. you know, where they'll come up to me and say, you must be so proud or your, your son is the best basketball player or he's this year, he did that or, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, a long time ago, I did something that resulted in this thing that you're reacting to now. But it's not me. You're not reacting to me. You're reacting to that thing I did. And I don't even really remember. I mean, I'll pick it up today and read a page and it's like, did I write that? I don't remember that. Yeah. Um, But anyway, it's this weird sort of... uh, unpersonal relationship that you end up having with it. Mm. So in your case, who knows it, you know, it can get picked up for a movie, a TV show, you know, you're going to be on talk shows and all this shit. And it's, as time goes by, you and the book will get further and further apart. And where it's like, Oh, that's a part of my life that was a long time ago. I mean, it's already five, six years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm in such a different phase in my life already. Yeah, it's yeah. like I'm reflecting back on a different season. Yeah, so yeah, that'll it's... be interesting. I'm yeah. excited. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, I remember talking with um, a Caitlin Doty. Have mm-hmm. you heard of her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last time she's uh, been on the podcast twice, um, and the last time was just before her book uh, "Smoke Gets in Your Eyes" mm. was about to come out. It's like you. It was, a week before and you know I could just feel like you know again like you it's like she's really she's attractive she's articulate she's super smart yeah she's doing something that's quirky and interesting and people are going to be fascinated by it's like this this is going to hit you know this is going to change your life and I remember having this same conversation with her and she's like, I know, I know, I don't know how, I can't, I can't anticipate it, yeah. but I know there's a big change coming. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of feel the wave, but you don't know what yeah. it's going to look like. Yeah. So now I love her. She's, it's such interesting subject matter that yeah. we're so afraid of and she approaches it in such an interesting way. Right. Well, and also like you, it's, it's a thing people are fascinated by but don't like to talk about. Yeah. And so to have, uh, you know, an attractive young woman come out and be like, hey, here it is. You know, no shame, no no yeah. bullshit. This is it. And, 
you know, be very approachable about it. I think we're in this amazing historical moment where that kind of thing is just happening over and over and over yeah. again. I feel like, you know, like all these Potemkin villages are just collapsing. All this fake bullshit is yeah. just falling down all around us at an increasing, accelerating pace. It's fascinating and, and I think really scary for people. Yeah. And, you know, you get these reactionary movements like, you know, Trump, which I think is sort of the last gasp of the old guard that wants to believe in the bullshit, you well, know, like so. bring back coal. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? I keep thinking it's a joke. Like I'm yeah. reading fake news. Oh, that's got its own. I can't right. even use that term anymore. Right. But yeah, like really, we're going to it's like we're trying to revive yeah. 1950s America. And, and that's it. it. It's it's desperate. It's silly. Yeah. And, you know, oh, but, you know, the bathroom bill, you know, you oh, you're determined. Like, well, it's a fucking bathroom. Yeah. More and people have been raped by Republican senators. In a bathroom is the transgender person. Yeah, like, exactly. Nobody goes to a bathroom to, like, fuck someone who doesn't want to be fucked. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, it's a crazy, crazy time. But I, but I really, you know, the positive part of me believes that all this negative shit is a reaction yeah. to this overwhelming tide of... Honesty and, and, you know, like, yeah. fuck it. We're tired of hiding. Yeah. Why should we hide? Yeah. You know, and so there's this sort of, you know, merging of energy between Caitlin and you and me and all these other and Neil and other people are saying, hey, fuck it. I'm not lying anymore. Yeah. You know, let the Let's world change. Yeah. 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 Just throw it out there. And, You're not hurting anybody, at least. Well, in your world, maybe like you are it. a little. <laughs> I had I'll tell you, I had a really eye opening experience with a friend um, who, re who helped me see BDSM in a way that I could not have imagined. She's really sweet, wonderful person. Um, I don't want to say too much about her. I don't want to invade her privacy and, you know, give people a way to figure out who I'm talking about. But um, essentially, this, the important part of the story is that she has um, a chronic physical condition that involved a lot of surgery, mm -hmm. a lot of pain, a lot of chronic pain. And um, the way she dealt with it was by eroticizing pain. Mm. I've heard this multiple times. Really? Yeah. People yeah. struggle with pain in one way or another. Yeah. And, and she's smart. And she looked at it and said, I don't want to get addicted to painkillers. Yep. And I know that's what's going to happen if I start. So I need to find a way to live with this. And so she masturbated a lot as a way, to, you know, the endorphins, I guess, would mask the pain for a while. Yeah. She had a job where luckily she's very, the people around her were very understanding. She'd go into the bathroom with a vibrator every couple mm -hmm. of hours and they're like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, that's her. And, um, but she got into BDSM and w was getting flogged and, you know, hung from the rafters and piercing blood play, like really into it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but she was never into it personality wise. Hmm. It wasn't like she didn't have this submissive kind of character development. Part of it for her. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I remember I talked to her about it. And I was like, well, if you didn't have this pain, do you think you'd be into this? She said, no, not at all. Yeah. It's not my thing. I'm not. But it's become my thing because it needs to be my thing. Yeah. So it just it gave me so much compassion to know her and, and to understand 
the way it fit into her life. And then, and then I, I sort of expanded back from that and thought, well, how many people are using this to understand or to tolerate pain that isn't necessarily physical pain? I'm so glad you just went there because I was sitting hoping that was the jump you were going to make. Right. Yeah. And do, in your experience, was a lot of what you were seeing were people trying to work out psychological yeah. traumas or... Yeah. Yeah. It's trauma or, I mean, anxiety or issues of control or obsessive compulsive disorder or... Yeah, it's like, it's just another way of trying to deal with some of those wounds, whether they're psychological or physical. Right. So, you know, knee pain versus like something that you really struggle with psychologically. Yeah. Um, or like getting into, you know, someone who's got this like high powered, stressful, intense job just wants to surrender control to someone. Yeah. Like that stereotype holds true where they just want the release of like, someone else taking the reins and yeah. letting them well that's the cliche right i mean yeah. is that is that in your experience is that an accurate cliche that sometimes most of the yeah. people now is it okay let me just explain to people who don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah, the cliche both. is i mean i remember years ago i was in new york and i don't know if this is true so i can't be sued i guess um, but I, I was allegedly got to throw that word <laughs> allegedly. So uh, I was hanging out with a buddy. His roommate came home late at night. We we're sitting around getting high. We were watching Star Trek at like two in the morning, as one does. As one does. And his his this is original Star Trek, not next generation okay. bullshit. I'm talking the OG <laughs> Star Trek. Kirk, Spock, right. Scotty. Uh, and we're watching that and his roommate comes in and she's been out. She's in a band called the Cycle Sluts from Hell, I remember. Wow. And she was this funky chick. And so she sat down and we we're talking with her. And anyway, it turns out she was a dominatrix and she allegedly told me that allegedly one of her biggest clients was allegedly uh, William Shatner. Huh. We were sitting That's there watching. Awesome. And so it's like, wait a minute. The most powerful man in the universe <laughs> is like getting spanked. And she's like, well, you know, that's the way it is, right? Okay, so... so that, that is your experience? A lot of the time that stereotype. And it's not just because they've got the money? Because, I mean, poor powerless dudes don't have the cash. I mean, how much did it cost for someone to go to your dungeon? Like $200 an hour? $200 an hour is a yeah. lot of fucking money for yeah. a, a guy who's painting walls. Right. Um, it's not much for, you know, if you're a starship captain. But I think those men who had the money were going in and had a choice about whether they wanted a sub or a dom. Oh, that's true. So okay. they were pretty consistently choosing to be dominated. Hmm. Sometimes not. And I think, I mean... I tend to, I think, break this stereotype in that I'm pretty, like, I'm a control freak who also usually likes to have control in the bedroom. Like, mm. I'm the dominant who oh, wants okay. to continue right. to be dominant. Right. Um, versus, like, a really powerful dominant woman who wants to be submissive, I think, is more the stereotype. Right. So, not everyone, obviously, but, yeah, I mean, that is one where it's like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Like, high-powered lawyers and CEOs and... Those were the kind of guys who were wanting to come in and be tied up or humiliated or just made to feel smaller and powerless and 
that was the release for them because it was so contrary to what was going on in their day-to-day lives. Now, now do you, okay, there, there are two ways that I can, I can envision this. One is this guy's daily life is so much about telling other people what to do that there's like an innate hunger for balance. So he wants to go into a place where he's being told what to do. Yeah. Um, another sort of more sort of global way to look at it would be this is a guy who, since he was young, has felt powerless and vulnerable and afraid. And he's built his life around a denial of that. So there's this structure that he's built of I'm the powerful lawyer, I'm the cop, I'm the, you know, whatever, super successful rich guy, which is driven by this deep inner vulnerability. Because if he didn't have that deep inner vulnerability, he would be like, yeah, fuck it, I'm just going to hang out and have a good life. I think that's the you think more so you think it's more yeah. so it's you not work so hard against that right that you construct this life and this persona that's not that yeah and then are like but I want that like I, I know I secretly, deep down inside yeah, that's who I am that's the only way I can get off so yeah you know I'm ashamed of that or I struggle with that yeah. or whatever it is so I'm gonna make myself not that I don't want to be a weak man right or perceived as a weak man yeah but that's the only thing that gets me off. So, yeah. you know, I'm going to accept it in that realm of my life, but be Mr. Powerful everywhere else. Have you seen American Beauty? A long time ago. It's such a great movie. I need to rewatch it. Yeah, me too. Because I think when I watched it, I watched it before any of this. Oh, don't yeah. Really it. Rewatch it. Yeah. And it's just so, it's such a beautiful film. Uh, because it's all about who are we really, who are we pretending to be, yeah. and how that's playing out sexually. Hmm. And there's this incredible relationship between the Kevin Spacey character and his next-door neighbor. And his next-door neighbor's like a Marine, ex-Marine, you know, macho dude, haircut, muscles, guns, trucks, you know, everything. And then it turns out, you know, he tries to kiss Kevin Spacey. Uh, and, and there's this incredibly moving, bizarre, twisted moment where that comes out. And you can just see, like, this guy's entire life is built around trying to deny who he is. And so common. Oh, absolutely. So fucking common. But, you know, this ties into my sort of grand unified field theory of Western civilization, which is that... Our leaders in the civilized world are generally sick. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so desperate to get into positions of leadership. So you look at, you know, prominent people in almost any field. You ask them, why did you become a great guitarist? Well, it's the only way I could get girls. I was really awkward and I was afraid. And so I learned to play guitar. And then, you know, and now I'm fucking, you know, whoever, you know, Eric Clapton or something. You know, how did you, why did you get all this money? Well, you know, my father, I was never good enough for my father. And so I had to prove this and prove that. And whatever it is, like, they're driven by some inner flaw or weakness or, or fear. And I, you know, in, in hunter gatherer societies, leaders are people who are admired. They're not people who want to be leaders. Yeah. And I just feel like we've got, everything's backwards in our world. I mean, the ancient Greeks 
exemplified that occasionally as well, where like there would be the, the leader that they sort of forced to be the leader. Like right. you're not trying, you're saying like, no, you're the most capable, please step up. Right. And you know, it's the farmer who then goes back to farming. Right. Yeah. Reluctant leadership. Versus like the egomaniac. Yeah. <laughs> working against his childhood issues. So. Exactly. So we need more BDSM to like help these people deal with their shit. And uh, instead of, you know, imposing it on the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, stop overcompensating. <laughs> Be you. Explore what you need to explore and stop punishing the rest of us yeah. for being open-minded. There you and, go. Yeah. All right. High five. Yes. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does please direct them through the link on my page chrisryanphd.com you click on that baby once bookmark the landing page on amazon and then eight to ten percent of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones thank you to basin and range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your 
to the ground. 